Gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Conspiracy Castle. I am your conspiracy asshole, prime time, nine and nine, Alex Nine, on the grind all the time. And we have a very special guest. I'm just gonna bring him right on. We got Wilford Riley. He's an American political scientist. He's also an assistant professor of political science at the Kentucky State University. And he holds a PhD in political science from Southern Illinois University and a law degree from University of Illinois. And let me tell you something about him. Wilford is exposing all of the woke curriculum that they got in these uh, the school system that is basically, I think, in a way, almost like reverse racism. So with all that, Wilford, welcome to the castle. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing pretty well, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Okay. So tell me this. What's the scam with the CRT thing? Is CRT, uh, you know, is that a real threat to our uh, our future of kids? You know, people like on the right. I'm saying, you know, on the right, how they say, oh, CRT is ruining this thing. And then people on the left, they say, you know, they need CRT. So what is the real deal, in your opinion, on CRT, Wilfred? Yeah, well, I don't think CRT, quote unquote, is a conspiracy. I think it's a it's a thing that's happening. And to me, I don't I don't think the real issue here is as much with specifically critical race theory as it is with a huge problem in a lot of institutions, which is that they've swung toward kind of the upper middle class urban left for the past 60 years to a crazy degree. So if you look at American high schools, two of the most popular curricula, I guess, things that go throughout the school are Howard Zinn's uh, sort of people's curriculum for America. Howard Zinn's a, a Marxist. He's a communist. A fun guy to have a drink with, but that, that's his background. He's a communist. Um, and the 1619 Project curriculum from Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times. And they, the argument there is America was founded in slavery, racism's in our DNA, all this kind of stuff. And there are lessons from grades from i think like one to 12 like what is a slave you know what was a day like in the life of an enslaved american some of these i'm and this is i'm kind of being a little loose here i haven't read the entire curriculum i've read the early grade stuff but that's extremely common and when you when you get into college it's a bit more extreme like like last sentence but if you look at like the ideological breakdown of a major field like sociology it's very very often sort of 98 to 2 
identified Democrats or identified Republicans. So crit theory is a part of that, but it's part of the overall gender theories in there as well. It's just the schools lean really, really left. And a lot of parents noticed that during COVID. Well, I got a, I graduated from LSU uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I'm an idiot. I got a 2.6 GPA. You had to have a 2.5 to graduate. So I'm not the best student, but I did minor in sociology. And you're right. It's very woke. You know, it's like family and gender classes. You know, they talked about, you know, um, this is the thing about trans. I'm not anti-trans. I was actually at a recent rally that uh, kind of went viral because they were, it was for Jeff Younger, and he is a running for Congress, and he's well known because he has a three-year-old child that his wife started to transition. Now the child's nine, and he's trying to stop that. So basically, they're having a rally for uh, um, pro-trans kids. And uh, gosh, now I kind of forget my point of why I'm, I'm talking about uh, transitioning now. I, I started thinking about Jeff Younger. Uh, what was my point I was going to make? Oh, my God, I'm such an idiot, Wilfred. Uh, I'm trying to make my point about uh, the transitioning. Why, why It's not bad to transition children. I mean, it's it's not good to transition children. We're already going off the rails in the interview, Wilfred. Huh? I'm sorry. I'm trying to think of my question. Why I, was, I was talking about. No, it sounds like oh, you were just talking saying about you were the, the a sociology soci- minor. Excuse me. Yes, the sociology. So yeah. what I'm saying is we took a lot of gender studies classes, not just women's gender, but we learned about there yeah. are there are some kids that are born intersex. And that is why they have hormone blockers. That's why they have puberty blockers, because some some kids are born with either two genitalia or no genitalia. And they have to take puberty blockers to make to to make them, I guess, fit in society uh, more fluidly, I guess you'd say. So so they're using that stuff, you know, this that was made scientifically for to help, you know, kids that are born with birth defects. And now they're giving them to three year olds to nine year olds. And the curriculum in sociology, it kind of was pushing that transgender Movement. So what is the deal with the feminization of men in our in our school system and the masculinization of women in our school system like Leah Thomas, the trans swimmer? Yeah, that, that's a good, long, a highly intense question there. <laughs> um, so basically, there are a couple of different things going on here. So like trans people aren't in general intersex. And I actually think I, I don't know if there's like an organized trans lobby, but I think when you talk to activists in this field, there's almost an intentional attempt to confuse the two. Right. So intersex people are people that are born with specific medical conditions, which make sex harder to define. The classic stereotype would be what used to crudely be called hermaphrodites, where people that have, say, a penis and a vagina. Um Trans and obviously those people exist and need to be treated kindly as members of society that have these sexual conditions. Trans people, 99.9% of the time are people that are biologically male or biologically female. And it's, it's really easy to define this. Um, like if you actually talk to a gynecologist, they'll say stuff. Like if you have a vagina that gets wet and breasts, you're probably a woman. Like it's, it's pretty blunt. Um, But are people in one of the identifiable sexes that identify mentally with the other? So the the fact that sex can be ambiguous for some people doesn't necessarily have much of anything to do with the trans debate. The question isn't, are there some intersex people? It is, can someone who's a fully biological male with an XY or XYY chromosome, you know, a penis, testicles, all of this, decide to express themselves as a woman because they feel that this is who they truly are inside. That's what their mind reflects. And then, and I think this is where the conversation really starts, do things like compete athletically as a woman. So that's, that's the trans debate. Um, To me, the whole transitioning kids thing is insane. I mean, this is kind of a chill environment. So I'm just going to give you my can say whatever you want. Oh, this is a conspiracy castle. You can cut. Uh, you can say anything, yeah. Wilbur. I'm laid back. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, yeah. I don't think I'm going to start like screaming crazy stuff, but I'm going to give my opinions. Like 
I think that the, the trans kids thing, I'm sure there are kids that have gender dysphoria. Like the whole thing with trans people is that they, they're gender dysphoric in most cases. But the number is really, really small. Like for decades, you used to see maybe a few hundred kids every year, and they were almost all boys. And they were almost all past kind of that point of adolescence, if that makes sense. Like they were people who were going into puberty and thinking that they thought of themselves as women throughout their life. Now the numbers increased thousands of percent. I don't know the exact increase. And most of the people saying that they are trans are girls. And there's a there's a researcher, Littman, that wrote a paper on this, what she called peer contagion. You say girls saying they're boys. Just for, just for yeah, girls saying they're boys. Not boys saying they're girls. And even the, even the language here gets kind of complex because like if you're a boy, but you say you're a girl and, you know, you can demonstrate some mental differences or even just say that's your identified gender. Are you still a boy? But I mean, in, in practical terms, yeah, the the surge in trans folks right now is people who are, let's say, females. They're biological women with breasts and vaginas or girls that would develop into biological women who are saying that they identify as males, as men. Um it's hard to deny that a lot of this has to do with the growth of sort of trans influencers on Instagram and TikTok and so on, with the rise of gender studies as a popular female major, gender ideology in the high schools, sometimes the middle schools. So this researcher Littman looked at what makes women identify as trans, just what sort of the crude correlations as trans men, what the crude correlations are. And what she found was that the thing that made this most likely was having a friend or like one of your girls in your circle that had made the same identification previously. And that made it something like 10,000 times more likely. There's no way this is a coincidence. Let me pause. So you're now you seeing quick. this surge. Hold on, Wilford, that, that, that exact quote. It's funny. Cause I just, uh, somebody sent me this video of a kid that has a YouTube page and it's about their transition. And he actually okay. showed when he was a boy and he, the whole video kept on talking about my aunt. My aunt was the one that helped me, my aunt. And you could tell the aunt was like a gay lesbian. So you're right. You have to have somebody close to you to help you transition. So is that the case 99% of the time, Wilford? Well, I think that most people, yeah, to some extent. So like, I think what you're seeing, and again, this is, this is my personal opinion. I'm, I'm actually pretty well read in psychology, which is literally the discipline down the hall from me. But I mean, there, there's a big debate about this right now, but I would say that obviously when you see like a 10,000% increase in something or whatever the exact metric is, there's a reason for that that doesn't have to do with the genetics, for example, like people didn't change in that range of time. And I think what that thing is, is the growth of sort of gender theory. The this has become when I was when I was in high school, it was cool for women to be bisexual. Girls would jokingly say things like, you know, I play. Most of these girls were not actually bi in the sense that they are not going to break up with you. And I don't know about how everyone identifies, but none of them broke up with you and then started dating a woman in a long-term romantic relationship. They just experimented kind of with girls. Occasionally, or said they did. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just sort of, that was a cool high school identity. You're kind of sexy, flexy, you're a raver girl. You talk about sex a lot. You might've hooked up with a woman once. It seems to be sort of the same thing now where the gender label has replaced the sexual label to some extent. The number of lesbians is actually dropping. So like the number of women that are bi and prefer women through straight up gay and prefer women is on the decline. Wow. So the growth in the LGBT community isn't among gay or truly sexually split women. It's among people that are claiming different gender identities. And you, you can now see these pretty often in kind of youth discussion, like I'm non-binary. Mm -hmm. um, 
so on down the line. You know, I'm gender fluid. I'm two spirit. I, I teach sometimes at a high school and people say this stuff all the time. So I would assume that generally if someone is eight and they're saying something like I am two spirit sexually, that would be because an older person talked to them about this concept. Like if you're eight years old, you don't really have a lot of innate understanding of gender and sex. So my whole thing with the trans kids stuff is we need to be very careful with this. Some of these people may actually have gender dysphoria, which you can grow through, by the way. I mean, there's a famous study of kids that were genuinely potentially trans that found that about 70 percent of them just went on with life and came to identify as gay. But in addition to the people that have gender dysphoria and will never get through that and the people that have gender dysphoria and may simply decide they have you know an alternative sexual identity, you also have people that are almost kidding around or that say something like, I feel like a boy to an adult caregiver and then find that has really drastic consequences. So, no, I don't think we need like double mastectomies for kids or something like that in these in these situations. A lot of that seems crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, especially a kid picking at sex before it even has sex or knows what sex yeah. is. I mean, it just seems like you don't I mean, you're just at a state of maturation where you're just like the seed hasn't even sprouted yet. And you're already trying to manipulate it in one way or the other. It's just really inorganic, I guess. And I think in society right now, you know, I guess society is like inorganic now. So as a college professor, what's the deal with the college students now? Like I was on that campus. I was on this trans rally. Is every kid woke? Because what I'm saying is when I saw the protesters, some of the protesters at this recent thing at North Texas, um, some of the students were kind of agitators, like people that are actually into trans. But a lot of the students that had nothing to do with it, that were wearing like the polo shirt or wearing like the khaki shorts and their T-shirt. I saw them kind of funneling and started to get around it and started cheering for the trans rights kids. So I'm saying is, is, is it either half the kids are just kind of too oblivious and like stoned and drunk to even have a, a worry and be, even be woke and be a social justice warrior? Or is the majority of them all trying to be fake social justice warriors for uh, the left? I think there are a couple of different levels. I mean, like when you say them. So first of all, the majority of kids in college, like I spent most of my time in college drinking beer and playing basketball. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, uh, everybody awkwardly chasing women because you're 19. You don't have any money. You don't really know what you're doing. I mean, but like that kind of stuff is what most people in college are doing. They're active in the Greek system and something like they're trying to pass the chem test. So I don't I don't think most people really give a shit about this at all. Like, I think the percentage of people at the trans rally, if you're talking about like you went to LSU, uh, I went to the University of Illinois, which is another huge college. You got like 50,000 people. You know, you're ready for the game against Michigan or whatever. I mean, like you, there are very maybe a thousand people total went to the, the biggest rally of the year on campus. Um, and I think that even within that group, you have people that assume it's part of the college social scene to be a protester or something like that, that aren't passionately committed to this and that are going to go on and work on a trading floor for an ads agency the minute they get out of college. They're, they're there for the degree. And that, that's almost a joke. Like all the ex-feminist radical in my generation was like raver kids that are now like working for Bear Stearns or what. I mean, it. Bane, well, everybody I guess was a raver re- back in the day. I mean, I've been to raves. I mean, everybody loves to go and, and rave. That's yeah. I, do kids not do that as much anymore though in college? I'm sure they well, still they're do not. That. They're not mostly outside. Like younger mentees, it's more like the festival scene where everyone will go to like a forest or something, okay. which is pretty cool. I mean, empty uh, warehouse. <laughs> yeah, it, well, I think it's just a response to the police, like where the Crack House Act in Chicago and New Orleans and the other big cities started making it more difficult to just throw a giant illegal party. So you can now the party is in a force and it's called something like love of nature. 
but it's the same uh, chemical support and, you know, DJs and all that sort of thing. So anyway, but I mean, like, I think that most most people don't really care about these social causes at all. But I do think when you go to college, it's overwhelming how left leaning the campus scene is. And I think this has always been true. I think this is true of the hippies. I think this was true of the feminist and, you know, first sexual revolution movements on campus, so on down the line. So it's nothing new, but it's very young people. They're kind of discovering sex and drugs that work and not being at home with their parents and so on. And that that contributes to a certain environment. The, the thing that I think that is sort of problematic is that the adults don't really help with this. So like when I said um, the, the web resource econ lab, for example, breaks down the ideological perfect preferences of university professors. And last I looked, something like 18 percent were just communists, at least in the social that science. Far. They say they even write communists, not just, you know, yeah. uh, I mean, wow. No, like I identify as a Marxist. Like there was a, there was a pretty famous survey that was given. It's the prevalence of Marxism in academia. You can find it. It's now kind of dated. It's like 10 years old. But they found that 18.6 percent of social scientists and another almost 10 percent of people in the humanities just identified as communists. Like they answered the question, I am a Marxist. Uh, in social science, which is where I am, that's psychology, sociology, as you know, also black studies, all that kind of thing. Uh, another 21 percent, I think, said that they were radical activists. And the like teachers four- said they were activists. I mean, come yeah. on. I mean, the teachers. I, yeah. I mean, isn't there some sort of impartiality that they are supposed to at least put for? I mean, put forth. I mean, isn't that I, I don't, I'm not a teacher, really? but I mean, isn't that kind of what the teacher is supposed to be is impartial to. Yeah, ideally. I mean, obviously, when you see like who's the Tucker Carlson guest that comes on and spars them like the Antifa professor, professor who leads a local Antifa chapter. Like, obviously, you're not supposed to do that. Yeah. Like that's that's roughly as problematic as it would be if you were in the Klan. Like if you're on an actual left wing street fighting groups board locally. I mean, like, yeah, but you, you see that pretty often. And they're actually, I mean, they're whole books like uh, Roger Kimball's Tenured Radicals that look at just sort of all these crazy professors like Ward Churchill, the guy who said 9-11 was what the USA deserved and so on. But it's it's more important, I think, to look at the big picture than to kind of nut pick. The big picture is that, again, when you go into a like you said, you got a minor in sociology. Yes, yes. You're you're a normal guy. I mean, it's it's basically that I'm not normal at all. Wilford, I'm a mental patient. Are you talking to the freakiest guy? I got five cats. I got dogs. I'm a mess. No, I'm a sociology. And I used to be kind of liberal. I'm saying I, I was indoctrinated by the thing. So when you say I'm normal, thank you. I appreciate that. That's really kind I mean, of you're like your guy in a suit hosting your podcast. Like these, these are some of the biggest majors on campus and everyone is far to the left. And I, I do think that has an obvious influence. Like I asked actually uh, like feminist X, I was goofing around with on Twitter the other day. Like, how would you, how would you trust social science? Because she kept saying things like trust the experts, you know, the COVID experts, the, the systemic racism experts. And it's sort of like, how much do you think you would trust social science if 98% of it came from like old Republican guys who kept coming to these sort of unreplicable conclusions, like women really love to be housewives. I mean, it's the same thing. Like what you have right now is, dozens of different studies trying to find new exotic kinds of racism done by people who ID as communists. And I think a lot of normal people will look at that and say, what the hell are you doing? Like my college dissertation actually tested some of these claims, like measurable white privilege. And a lot of them just turned out to be complete bullshit. Like there was no evidence at all that this had more of an impact than social class, for example, or that people valued race more than sex or a dozen other things. So 
Yeah, I, I think that's the issue. It's, it's sort of a monoculture. You don't get a lot of ideological difference in the modern academy. Yeah, I mean, and I, I said it earlier, like I'm almost now at this age, I'm almost kind of anti-college, even though I have a college degree. And obviously you're not going to be anti-college because you believe it's beneficial. But at this point, because you oh, syndicated nice. college and you're basically getting indoctrinated, you know what I mean? So uh, how do you how, what's the future of schooling? Isn't this only going to get worse? You're talking about exotic racism. Isn't the racism only going to get more exotic, Wilford? <laughs> Well, I, th I think that what you have is like there's a famous old line. I think it's from H.L. Mencken or one of the first good journos. But like it's very difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. I think to some extent that that is what you have in academia. I mean, and there's a whole sector that that kind of is linked around this concept, like the the NGOs, the great charities like the ACLU, Southern Poverty Legal Center, so on down the line. Um, the media to some extent, except for Fox, that's another sector that's like 93 to seven. I'm not making these numbers up, by the way, that's uh, Pew Research in 2004, left over right. So I think that there are a lot of people that have a very vested interest in not abandoning kind of that older narrative. I mean, for the SPLC or the NAACP, although they do some good work, black business and all that. But I mean, with those groups, there's no reason to give them $100,000 a year if the old fights are basically over. So you've almost seen the redefinition of a term like racism. I think that this is something important that most people don't fully understand. Like racism means disliking members of another race for genetic or ethnic reasons. It's meant the same thing for hundreds, if not thousands of years. But you're now seeing an attempt, if you read through Ibram Kendi's books or something like that, to redefine racism as kind of any system that produces different outcomes for people of different races. And the argument's just sort of half-assed. It's like, well, if it weren't for prejudice hidden somewhere in the system, that couldn't happen unless you're saying people are genetically or whatever inferior. The argument's really weak. There are a lot of major gaps between groups that aren't either one of those two things, like differences in age. But anyway, you're seeing an attempt to redefine some of these old ideas to kind of keep the hustle going. Will that get better in academia? Maybe. Um, I can't get worse. I mean, you can't go much below like 99 to one. So, yeah. I mean, it, it'll probably get a little better as, you know, some of the former like it'll online. ID, yeah. Like some of the former online IDW and even quote unquote dissident right guys are pretty smart. And I think some of them will be pissed off enough to go into academia and feels like economics. So we might get up to like 93 to seven. <laughs> well, 90 to 10 still you know? not great okay but uh on the view the other day they said reverse racism doesn't exist that a black person cannot be racist towards a white person they can only be prejudiced is that true because listen you just defined racism i yeah i, I would think by your definition you, i've been i love everybody of every color that's what everybody white supremacist says of course or i'm not saying i'm white supremacist <laughs> i'm saying you know that's the stupid thing i love every color i don't want to be cheesy and say that what I'm saying is I've been profiled by and, and you know, groups of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the car business. I sell a lot of cars. I sell cheap cars. I buy cash cars, too. So I deal with a lot of young black men. I'm just saying I've been profiled and I've had black guys come to my dealership and say, I don't want to buy a car from another black guy because I've been ripped off by a black guy. So I'm just saying you, it, they've been, what I'm saying is like a black person could be uh, nervous of another black person. That doesn't make them racist. So it's like, well, why did they create this racism narrative that? It's not I'm a white person is not able to be uh, a black person is not able to be racist. What is that all about, Wilford? Well, it, it just gets into more, in my opinion, bullshit redefinition. So the the argument again, racism is a really specific thing. Like even today, if you go to the dictionary and I, by the way, I would encourage sort of smart young people to go out and buy a dictionary right now because the words are going to be changed by the people in power. Yeah. Like that sounds like a joke, but it's not. 
Um, I guarantee you the definition of racism in six years as some fights are won will be something different from what it is now. If you look at what's happening to Wikipedia and so on down the line. But anyway, if you go to the dictionary, racism is it's a really specific thing. Like it's a belief that one or more of the human races, which are pretty definable, Caucasian and so on, is superior to one or more of the others, all, almost always combined with dislike. So if you are a white guy and you dislike blacks asians and for some weird reason irishmen specifically and you think that your group of anglo caucasians is better than those groups like you're a racist so in that sense of course a black person could be racist in fact there are classically racist black groups like the nation of islam that kind of take our stereotypical advantages black people are perceived as more athletic have less of a racist history good lovers you know skilled in the arts like i mean it's all the racist stereotypes but they were they come from God to the black man, God's chosen and white people are devils or demons or whatever their technical term is. So, I mean, like that's just classic racism and they're pretty powerful. I mean, they have a fully accredited university, Muhammad, you I mean, they have a fighting force, the fruit of Islam. So I, I think when most people look at that, they say, oh, well, these are obviously some pretty well off black bigots. And I think that that is the correct perspective. The argument that minorities can't be racist comes from the argument that racism is prejudice plus power. And since minorities don't have power, we can't be effectively racist. But this doesn't make any sense. Like just a couple quick comments. First of all, by that standard, like a Nazi in one of the powerful African countries like Nigeria or South Africa couldn't be racist. They hate black people. They may well actually be going around killing black people because they're in a black run country. But they're not racist. They're just ineffectively personally prejudiced because they're in the minority. And I think most people looking at like the Nazi serial killer example would say, well, oh, that doesn't make any sense. You're just sort of talking nonsense. That that is correct. But a more two more specific problems like one, there are many situations in the USA where minorities are dominant. Like even if you want to play this game, like I teach at a top 300 ranked university. It's a black college, the historically black institution. All our executives are black. So I don't see any scenario where I couldn't be abusive to like a white janitor there. <laughs> Another point would be like all the, all the white people aren't unified. So one, one element of this is the assumption that there's sort of a unified all white ruling class. So when like a toothless, quote unquote, hillbilly does something, they do it with the approval of like Mitt Romney. That's the argument that like toothless guy can be a racist, but Barack Obama can't. But the argument's just BS. Like Mitt Romney has no idea what toothless Appalachian coal miner is doing. So uh, this is a lot of these arguments are just very stupid. They're literally low IQ arguments. They don't make any sense. It's just they've been tolerated for so long and repeated for so long that a lot of people kind of look at them like, oh, that's the science, you know, TM. Well, it's really effective because I never even really knew about the term white guilt. And now I went to a Beto O'Rourke rally and I could tell there was a lot of like kind of wealthy white people there that probably felt like they had white guilt for even being white. Um, so what is that? Is that a new phenomenon? White guilt, in your opinion, uh, Wilfred? Well, I, th I think that white guilt and like the so there's a famous old line, like the artist is a bourgeois that feels guilty. Like, and what that means, uh, you probably already know, but what that means is like, when you look at radicals, you don't often see a lot of people actually from the hood. And there are plenty of white versions of the hood. I mean, driving between Kentucky and Tennessee, there's a trailer park that goes on for, we measured it once, it was like 23 miles. <laughs> you know, it's like army base, tattoo parlor strip, trailer park starts, you know, like 
strip of bars, trailer park goes we on. We call it white trash like, here in Texas. We call that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, not that it's bad. I'm just saying, there's, you know, that's that's a thing. That's not bad. I mean, no, I mean, no hate for those guys, yeah. but I mean, like, I think if you went into that community, you would find crime rates, drug use rates, single mom problems well, at the same well, level. I, I, I want to say this: you were talking about fentanyl. I was just listening to one of your podcasts, and 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 this is the the society is we have so many mm-hmm. overdoses. You said seventy percent of the people that are overdosing are white people, yet they don't even talk about that. Uh, uh, that uh, that disparity when it comes to the drug overdose deaths. Yeah, I, I think this is society, American society, for whatever reason, doesn't really care about poor whites. And I think that this, this is because there's not really a lobbying base for them. Right. Like the the left wing of the Democratic Party is all about free stuff. I mean, people make Gibbs me that's jokes about urban governments and so on. But it's free stuff in one direction. It's the idea that minority groups have been brutalized and oppressed and that we should direct our efforts toward things like reparations. I think that would be a pretty fair summary of, say, Cory Bush's take or Ilhan Omar's. And then on the other side, like you have the hard, hard right that sometimes talks about poverty. But their take is kind of like, well, it's all these damn immigrants that are burdening this country, you know, hardworking Americans are being taken from the simple reality that about 50 percent of the people on welfare are just native born American white people. And there are a bunch of broke white people coming from Appalachian and Cajun and so on communities that have all Boston Irish that have often been treated almost as harshly as black ones. That's something no one's really jumping on board with because it screws up two agendas. But yeah, in Taboo, I wrote uh, I talked about racial differences in crime rates. And a lot of them are pretty significant. Like in New York during one period of time, like 97% of the active shooters, like people just discharging guns in the community happened to be black or Latino. And the chapter was kind of sounding a little alt-right-ish. Like it was just like, these are real crime differences. This went on for like 12 pages. So I decided to look up similar gaps for whites and I found a bunch of them. Like the suicide rate for poor white men is extraordinarily high. I mean, really? it reached, Poor white yeah, men, yeah. is that the highest suicide rate in society is poor white men? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but like the the suicide rate among all men, first of all, is wildly high. Like it's compared to women, like, I didn't even know that. It's not fifty. It's not close to fifty. Fifty men could. could no, men, oh, I didn't no, know like men, wow. men are way more likely to commit suicide. Like of so among like working class white men, the suicide rate is something like forty per one hundred thousand, which doesn't sound like a lot, but is incredibly high. Like that group also has a pretty high murder rate, and the suicide rate is ten times the murder rate. The suicide rate in that group is higher than the murder rate in black communities, if I recall correctly. And we don't so hardly just, talk about suicide. I mean, they, they mention it, but yeah. they don't, I mean, this is a, wow. Sorry, Will. No, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that, again, nobody's really paying attention to. Nobody necessarily cares about it. It's kind of, so like we heard constantly about COVID for the past two years. And COVID, obviously, you know, deadly disease. You know, I, I got the vaccine. But like last year, 400,000 people died, or a little more, died of COVID, average age, something like 80. There were a lot of other problems in society that were hitting far healthier, far younger people that we just ignore. I mean, drug we overdose. hit 100,000 drug overdoses last year, if I recall correctly, fatal overdoses. So, and again, that that's a problem that's concentrated among whites. I mean, like, yeah, until fentanyl really hit the scene, and even now it's close to this, like 70% of overdoses took place in the Caucasian community. Whites are white Hispanics are separated. So whites are like 57 percent of the country, maybe. So, yeah, these problems, for whatever reason, and I just gave some, you know, somewhat conspiratorial reasons, actually, but for whatever reason, aren't discussed. 
And there, there are a lot of them, like even traffic deaths, something as mundane as that, like 50,000 people a year are close or killed just tooling around on the highway. And again, men absolutely dominate that. Something like 70 percent white men are the largest group. So we we tend to talk about things that we've gotten used to thinking are the stories like ethnic conflict is a story, you know, and the, just the subtle, quiet things that kill most people aren't. Well, let me say this, though. I'm in the bail bond business or my, and I'm a licensed bail bondsman. My dad is a bail bondsman um, still. And this is the thing. Our private prison industry is filled with nonviolent black drug offenders. People that didn't have, I mean, uh, uh, so isn't that when you, when you look at our system, don't you think, isn't that inherently racist that our prison system or private prison system is filled with mainly black people? Well, I, I don't, I don't really it's not buy mainly. That. I think it's 50, 50%, but I'm saying it's usually nonviolent drug offenses. Is the majority. Uh, not really. I mean, like, I'll, let me pull this up pull actually. Up. As up, a please. social scientist, I have the stats on um who's actually in prison the argument like the new jim crow argument is really just sort of wrong like let's get prison almost spelled prison wrong i spell stuff all the people in my chat were laughing when you called me normal they're like oh man he's far from normal (laughs) yeah okay so state prison um the most common crime for both white and black males in state prison is murder a hundred seventy nine thousand people yeah, that's, in state, for, that's state prison that's state jail so that's that's a little higher than the private you know than the private prisons uh well even even federal and private prisons we've got two hundred twenty one thousand inmates now first of all the the huge one of the things that like michelle alexander who again is a cool person kind of skips over in the new jim crow is that there are different prison systems so the majority of inmates it's one million three hundred six thousand as of 2019 are in the state system like the so I mean then that's a lot of inmates. I think you and I would both probably make some things legal. But um that's local way too jails. Many. That's way too many. If there's three hundred and fifty million Americans and there's one million of them in jail, so one out of every three hundred and fifty uh, people is in jail, that's way too many people. Well you also you also have to look at the crime environment. I mean, like the reason that the USA has a lot of people in jail is one, that we have a giant country, and two, we have a lot of groups with a really high crime rate. Um, I mean, when we talked about quote unquote, redneck Southern Americans, black Americans more so. I'm not going to minimize my group. We have a 2000 mile border with the developing world country. We have crime issues in the USA that you simply don't have in, say, Norway. And one of the biggest ones is just population size. Like I was talking about whether Sweden did well or badly with COVID like a couple of weeks ago. And the figure, the total number of people they lost was something like 10,000. And people were almost dismissing that as insignificant. I think they did pretty well against COVID. But it's worth noting that there are only like 12 million people in Sweden. So we have 35 times as many people. And we also have a higher crime population. When you look at countries like Russia, South Africa, Brazil, that are actually comparable, like racially diverse and the races used to fight each other. A lot of some bitches in the country, a lot of people there. We're, we're about normal. Like South Africa, our size would have way more people in jail from the black community, certainly. Also the really? Wow. Okay. So if you extrapolate it to other countries, uh, you would think that they would even have a higher prison uh, population if well, because I, so I think that they're yeah yeah. Sorry to it, it all bust in there. I think yeah, like just size accounts for a lot of that. I think if you extrapolate it out, like you said, yes, there'd be countries with larger prison populations. I also think that a lot of countries are just lying. So, I mean, this is like when you talk about like, dude, China, wait, you're on the conspiracy castle, Wilbur. I think every country is lying because the government is really a people management system. So, of course, they're not going to give us the truth and they're not going to. So, yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent on that. Sorry to cut you we're off. We're lying by like 
10 percent in terms of how we count people out on bail and so on. But China's lying. It's fully possible China's lying by a thousand percent. Like China has the entire what's that Caucasian minority? Oh, obviously the Uyghurs. China has like half the Uyghur population locked up in mountainside fortresses right now. And they don't count them in the prison numbers because that's genocide. That's different. But I mean, like when you actually look at this kind of reality, like China, North Korea, Belarus, I mean, there are a large number of countries that are almost certainly not telling anything close to the truth. So, I mean, you have to deal with first who's lying and secondarily, what are the size? What's the demographic diversity of the countries that aren't lying? But I mean, so like even in federal prisons and jails, we've got immigration. And this is where most of the privates would go. We've got immigration, 11,000 drugs, 16,000. But then like public order um, acts of potential terror, serious brawls, crossing state lines, that's 85,000, um, you know, violent 14,000, so on down the line. And I mean, you also have all the martial seizure stuff. You have tax offenses. So I think if you actually look at it, the idea that there are a lot of people in jail, especially black guys who got caught with a bag of weed and sentenced to the maximum of one year, I'm sure that still sometimes happens in like some retrograde Alabama County, but that's not why the majority of people are in jail. Well, Wilford, I had to cut you off there. What do you mean? Kamala Harris, the three strikes in California. There's a lot of people that had two felonies and then they got their third and misdemeanor got turned into a felony because they had the two priors and they did go to jail for stealing a piece of pizza or a bag of weed. I mean, that you know, that's real. The three strikes policy. The question is what a lot is. I mean, so, yeah, again, we we both are familiar with the criminal justice system. So there's a lot going on here. Like, first of all, 90 percent of the people in jail, let's just say as a baseline, aren't there for drugs in any way. But I mean, I trained as a lawyer. I went to U of I law. Like if you have any kind of competent attorney, what you're convicted of is going to be a huge plea down from what you were charged with. Yes. So even among those 10 percent of cases where you see a guy and it's like he just had two ounces of coke, which is a lot of coke like that. That's a long party. Long I mean, that's party, Charles of Coke, yeah. 56 individual grams. Like, you're not, you are. If you give that to the right guy, he can turn it into six ounces of cocaine. Yeah. I mean, for the wrong guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm talking widely about. hated individual on any campus or trading floor. But anyway, like, the, the reality there, though, is like, when you see something like that, the two ounces of Coke case where the guy does get two years, yeah, I mean, you have to understand, I'm sure you do, that that person probably also had a firearm. Like there's probably a confrontation with the cops when they came through the door. He probably had warrants. So like almost nobody just gets caught with a bag of weed and goes to prison, like not local jail, but prison. In fact, it's kind of hard to go to prison. Like the average sentence for rape is like four months. So, I mean, like, shut up, Wilford. Why? That makes you just know that, that. I mean, I know you're just kind of quoting this. It's not 100% accurate because we got to look it up, but is that really basic? Right. I mean, that, what? The average for a rape? Why is it? Because they say, ah. I'm saying they say it's statutory rape. I mean, what, what kind of rape would only uh, entail? No, the average sentence for, I'm not going to shut up. No, but I mean, like, the average <laughs> I just can't sentence, believe that, Wilford. The average sentence for rape is like four to six months. So prison is kind of prison is sort of a lifetime achievement award. If you're you're seriously in the crime game like that, that sounds a little glib, but it's pretty real. Like there was a case recently where a guy in New York walked up to a businesswoman who rejected him and hit her in the face with a bag of human shit. Yeah. And apparently like he actually like he he had to produce his own work, you know, so he like went in, in a train shit in like a gunny sack, like a big plastic bag walked out and started fighting with this person. And then as part of a felony assault, hit her with a bag of crap. He did a day in jail 
obviously this is pre-trial, but he was then released. You're talking about in New York. Uh, this is the guy in New York. Right? Yeah, New York. The, yeah, the New the York subway. subway crapper. Well, that's the that's the bail reform law is that that because now they're saying that actually being a bail it, to have a bail bondsman is technically racist because they charge money. And if you're indigent, you should get, just like you get a public defender there. There's now construing the idea of a public defender to being able to get out of jail for free because you can't pay to get out of jail. So it's racist. But if you and I get out of jail, somebody with a, a job that you and I, you can fill out the same form you can fill out to get a public defender. Now you can fill out that same form to get an ROR bond. You say, I'm poor, I'm indigent. And they, they're they letting you out under the idea of social justice. So these guys are literally crapping on people in the streets of New York, rubbing their feces, which is not only a weird, but it's kind of sexual. I mean, I'm saying that's like a sexual assault. I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't, it doesn't do with sex. I'm just saying that's a violation. Your, your feces to touch something. And he's out of jail the next day. That's disgusting. That's where we're at with society. Yeah, but that, that's the point. That's the point that I'm making, right? Like, so we, on the political left, there tends to be this idea of we're sentencing these innocent young black men and every so often they'll mention the large Caucasian, Hispanic and poor white majority of jail, by the way. Again, this group just gets ignored. Oh, and but I want to say we're, we're about to wrap things up, guys. We have to go right. soon. Uh, just saying uh, uh, we have all, all day, but Wilford has to go very soon. So we got about two or three minutes left uh, yeah. uh, to, to wrap this it is, up. This is, this is this is my probably one of my last points. Yeah. But I mean, so there's there's this. And actually, this is a pretty good summary, like of kind of perspective versus reality. There's this idea that we're sending these innocent guys, particularly minorities, to jail to rot because they have tiny bags of weed or cocaine or something like that. That's not real. Like the guy who literally crapped on a businesswoman who rejected him got out of jail after a day. And now that, that is a left leaning city and so on, although I will note that's the policy they want nationally. But we we don't actually see that. Like even nationwide, the penalty for sexual assault is, let's say, six months. You know, perhaps we've seen tougher sentences there. So the huge majority of people in jail are serious felons, certainly once you get past the county system. And this is the problem with all of this stuff. Like people keep trying to do these woke moral things that sound good. Like, for example, if a kid says they are they are trans, why don't we give them the affirming care they need? The problem with that is that it means cutting your breasts off, for example, if you've gone through puberty, like the, there are hard body effects of these pleasant sounding solutions that are often way worse than the problem that they were intended to solve. So I have I have almost no sympathy for this kind of stuff. Uh, and I think a lot of the people involved with proposing these ideas should themselves be in jail. I, I can't not uh, I can't disagree with you on that. I mean, in this society today, this day and age, though, I'm telling you, though, Wilford, if you and I went to jail, we would not be treated the same as uh, somebody that would claim they're a homeless person or they have nothing. Uh, Shit, I'd claim I'm a homeless person. I mean, like it's yeah, but they're not going to believe you're homeless, or they would say, "Oh, the professor." They'd look in. I mean, they could figure that out in two seconds. Maybe, maybe they Google they'd me. Just you know, talk like, to you for one second, they'd know you weren't a homeless person, Wilfred. I think you're you know you're a little too well spoken in front of the judge for them to give you a break. And, uh, you know, unless you were in New York, unless you were in Los Angeles, like in Los Angeles, a guy had 17 prior convictions, stabbed a 23 year old UCLA grad student in a high end furniture store. He should have been in jail for life before he even walked in that furniture store. And these people are like, oh, this is social justice. This is this is what's good. So they're purposely poisoning our society. America knows we're getting the cheap fentanyl um, coming from China is smuggling through the border that we won't even talk about. That is, you know, ruining society, killing a bunch of white people. They don't even mention that. So so I guess the last point is, is the world becoming racist towards white people now, Wilfred? And our, our, is, is a white man, I guess, uh the next target of, I, I know I say that, give me, is, of the patriarchy. I mean, it's, it's, so I, I think 
first of all, like there's way too much whining in this goddamn country among rich people. Bad. Like white people still have five or six times as much wealth as black people. So it's yeah. it's even more absurd. Like when your black buddy starts whining that your white buddy then jumps in and says, no, nah, I'm the real victim. Like this, <laughs> this is a clown show. But in terms of I'm the victim, I'm the victim. Uh, Wilbur, I hate that victimhood. OK, well, that, here. But, but in terms of practical reality. Like, I do think it is more tolerated to be openly racist to whites than to people of color in like normal middle class life. Like if I ran an article called something like, what's the problem with black women? You know, I'd immediately be fired. But you see this all the time, like the white man problem in society, the mediocre white man. And the the, the whole idea of like whites are just these mediocre bums is especially ironic in light of affirmative action. Like, so, you know, why do we get a hundred point edge to compete with you guys then? So on that note, yeah, racism's bad and whites do see some today. And last thing, though, uh, you know, a lot of Asians and, or, or people of color were, were uh, for their Ivy League school were saying they were people of color to get in when they weren't. So, I mean, what does that say when a person is lying to try to be a person of color to gain access? I mean, what does that say? Well, well I, I think that's a pretty important point. And this, this really is my last line. I'm going to yeah. have to kind of give this and sure. like click leave. Great. Yeah, talk okay. to you He's got to go. It. Sorry. I know this is the no, last no, one. I mean, Thank you like, for being I, on the I'll show. Answer, the I'll link's in the description question, for Wilfred. Sorry. No, I, I'll answer the question. I, I think that this actually almost destroyed Ibram Kendi's career. Like the guy we both had a couple mild darts for. Like he posted on Twitter, man, this is crazy. All these white kids are identifying as black or native. What's going on? Why, and he said something kind of racist, like, why can't these whites be honest? And people started pointing out like, look, bro, your whole thing is that there's this incredible bias against black people. What do you think's happening? And he, he took it down pretty quickly. But obviously, and again, there, there's a distinction here between sort of upper middle class, like applying for what I would think of as a real job life and like living in the hood where you might encounter abusive cops if you're black. That's important. But like, yeah, in day to day life, it's easier to get to Harvard if you're black as versus Asian ex Jewish, you know? Mm -hmm. Wow. Wilfred, right. the links are in the description. Thank you for joining the Good Conspiracy talking. Castle. God bless you, Wilfred. You're the man. I hope to talk to you soon. Okay, guys, we had to get out of there. He, he's a professor, so, you know, he has, uh, he's got a lot of stuff to do. He's a busy man, and uh, we had a heart out, and I started 15 minutes late. Uh, I didn't even get to take a shower because I'm, long story, walking the dogs. I'm late to this, blah, 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 okay? But we have another show this afternoon, so I will be back. So for the people, 205 of you guys watching, I appreciate it. I will be live again today with Kay Smythe. I almost said Smith. With my girl Kay Smythe. We know it. Don't show it. At uh, 2 p.m. Central. So in one hour, I'll be back. All right? Thank you, guys. Peace.